Hello and welcome to episode 35 of the Ski Instructor Podcast. I hope you're well. Uh, my name is Dave Burrows and I'm the director and owner of Snowpro Ski School based here in Valdilier in Switzerland. Uh, since the last episode of the podcast, episode 34, um, that was recorded at the end of April, um, a lot of the ski resorts have all, well, the ski season has come to an end now, but there's a few few odd things popping up. I noticed Avorias was open the other day. Um, I noticed Teen is opening fairly soon. There's obviously skiing going on in uh, in Zermatt, and it's actually not that long until the glaciers of Sasfe and uh, the summer skiing, uh, summer ski season on the glaciers really starts to happen so uh so yeah it's almost like a year-round enterprise really now for um for for many many people in our industry this episode um i've got an interview that's a bit more grassroots than than previous episodes um i talked to grant john greenwood who runs a dry ski center uh in a place called silksworth which is in the northeast of england um we talk fairly extensively about that in this interview and it was really really nice to get um a completely different perspective on skiing from the usual interviews which are based on you know people who are out here in the mountains so um i really very much enjoyed this interview and 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 how it was you know to to, to hear about the sort of the grassroots scene and how it all is um right at the beginner level of the sport and also in the uk where where you know essentially there is no snow um in this first half, we talk about um, John's growing up, school ski trips to Norway, how he got involved in the ski industry in the first place. Um, we talk about Snow Sports England. We talk about the UK dry slope um, sort of scene and uh, uh, touching on sort of training instructors internally within uh, his centre. Uh, so enjoy the first half and I will catch you somewhere in the middle. John Greenwood, welcome to the Ski Instructor Podcast. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you very much for having me, Dave. Ah, likewise. Um, I hope uh, hope all is well with you. Um, we got in touch because, um, well, I've seen you, up, you know, around and about on Facebook, but I wanted to get a really good perspective on dry slope skiing and the UK scene with with regards to that and and um, I deliberately didn't want to talk too much we've had quite a, the last few podcasts have been quite sort of Bayesian centric and I wanted to get a little bit away from that and I wanted to get more into kind of grassroots um, skiing and see what 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 that was you know what that looks like at the moment now that we're all coming out in the UK coming out of the um, the, the this lockdown and hopefully forever um, so you you currently run the uh, the Silksworth Dry Slope Centre and uh, that's in in um, the northeast of England and hopefully <laughs> with respect to you hopefully our listeners in the U- in the US and stuff will be able to understand your accent. Um, oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 tell me a little bit about that. How did you how did you get into skiing and how did you how did you end up where you are now? Yeah. Um, okay. So, I, I, I guess a little bit kind of cliche. I guess like you know, a lot of people got involved with skiing. I got involved with skiing through um, school ski trips. Um, so here in the northeast of England, we had a, 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 a ski trip that ran for many many years, which was which was organised by the um, 
the educational board in Northumberland. Uh-huh. Um, so, so it was classed as a, an educational trip. Um, but it was a kind of a, a extra to the kind of the outward bound centres and things like that that we used yeah. to have around Northumberland and in the north of England, things like that. Uh-huh. So I got involved in, in these school ski trips, um, travelling across to Norway. Okay. Um, so there was quite a strong connection with uh, the northeast in, in, in a resort called Voss in Norway, which is on the, the west coast of Norway. Um, what was so that? I, Sorry, what was that connection? Because there is, um, <laughs> like, because the, there is a connection, isn't there, between, I would say, Norway, Scandinavian countries, and the northeast because of the Vikings yeah. and stuff. That goes back a long way. It there's still yeah. places in the northeast, isn't there, where where you can you can pick up like in the language and stuff. There's that's correct. There's yeah. a bit of Norse yeah. here and there, isn't there? Yeah. So it, I believe, um, it was started. The, the trip was the, this adventure started in, in about 1971 by a gentleman called George Slee, who okay. I think at the time was looking um, to to expand the outward sort of bound sort of trips and things that um, was available to children around the northeast and around Northumberland um, and so he, he happened upon this resort in in, in in Voss in Norway which actually is is not very far at all it's about a, a one hour 20 sort of flight Newcastle into Bergen and then you know you're up the coast from Bergen into, into Voss so it was very easy easily accessible for oh, for people to get there that's so good because when I went on my first school ski trip we were 24 hours on a coach to Austria yeah I know it's crazy. I, 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 I don't know how teachers actually manage to kind of uh, put up with the kids. I know. Just on, on the, it's unbelievable. On the, on the bus trip. Yeah. Um, and, and this was this, that was always a, a, a massive advantage for for this trip to to Norway. The fact that you know you you got you met at the airport in Nor- in, in Newcastle, sorry, and then mm. within three and a half four hours you were in resort. That's amazing. You know? Yeah. So, and it was. And it's a, it's a small resort. It's not huge. Um, um, Monday to Friday, there was nobody else there. It was kind of like a private resort for these Northumberland kids. Um, and it was it was a fantastic sort of opportunity for them. I mean, over the years, so that last year was probably the last year that some of the kids managed to go, and then COVID's kind of put a bit of a, a block on it. Um, yeah. Hopefully we can kind of revive it a little bit. But, you know, thousands and thousands of children from the northeast and in you know surrounding sort of areas have, have gone on this trip um huh. and and you, you, i still bump into people now who kind of you know who have been on those trips and it's the only ski trip they've ever done but they still love you know there was you know they, they, they love the experience and they still sort of uh kind of you know remember all those sort of times they had out there yeah um so that's how so that's how i started uh one of these trips um, and I, I was kind of lucky. One of the one of the the big advantages also was because it was run by the educational board. Yeah. If you were from a, uh, at the time, if you were from a, a lower income sort of family, there was support there, so you didn't have to pay the full sort of amount for the trip. Amazing. Yeah. So so thankfully, um, for my parents, I guess at the time, um, I qualified to get you know to be able to go there on this sort of redu- reduced sort of fee. Um, went across to Norway. First time I'd flown, you know, first time away from home. I was uh, 12. I had my 13th birthday when I was out there. Um, and and that's, that, that, that's what hooked. I was hooked at that point. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, so then I, I went on several of these trips. Um, I got 
friendly with the kind of the, the guy who was running the, the ski school. Um, found out about how to take sort of instructor courses and things like that out in Norway. Yeah, what? And then, so then I left school at 16. Um, I took a ferry across to Norway um, when I was 16, just before Christmas. I did an instructor course out there. Um, and in, thankfully I passed. In English? That was in English, yeah. It huh? was in English. Um, I passed that course, thankfully. Um, and then there was a job at the end. So then, wow. then I was out. At, so that that's kind of that was the kickstart of my sort of skiing career. And I spent eight seasons out there, um, you know, yeah. back and forward uh, in Norway. Huh. Had some totally amazing experiences. You know, made as you do in, in, in ski instruction. You know, made a lot of contacts and you know things that helped me further on in in, in my career. Do you know what I mean? So it was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was how it all started. How did you? There's a couple of things come out of that because I, my my experience was similar. So so I went did this this sort of uh, so so I learned to ski. Someone was running as a school ski trip. Whoever these kind of heroes were from the past, right? That were pushing skiing through schools. Yeah. I don't know whether that still happens as much as it used to, but but whoever these people were. You know, thank you so much for, for kind of you know helping me find my, find my way, right? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And um, but but do you? The first question would be like, do, do you have any? I don't have many memories of that trip. Like I remember the accommodation. I remember bunking in with like a few of my mates and stuff like that. And I remember being on the mountain. Like I've got a vague memory of following some dude around, right? Yeah. And the the the, the kind of the being in the snake. And the sensation of skiing. That's that's all I've got. I don't really have many. And apart from the mega long coach journey, like the, yeah. looking out of the window, looking at Germany <laughs> rolling by, like oh my god, you know, not being able to sleep. That was that was. They're the memories I've got. But it was enough to hook me in. Yeah. And do you what what memories do you have from your first trip over in over in Norway? I I don't know if this is simply because. I end up spending so much time there, you know, yeah. so, you know, winter, winter, winter. Um, but I remember every single piece of it. <laughs> I remember, <laughs> I remember getting to the airport. I remember the flight. I remember, I remember the, the bus journey from the airport up into the, uh, to the resort, you yeah. know, driving along the fjords and things. I remember uh, the, the, the accommodation that we stayed in. We stayed in a youth hostel, which is, on the lakeside, you know, a really sort of picturesque sort of area. I, re- you know, I remember the first ride of the cable car, which was a, a kind of at the time was a one of these sort of wet eagles day type cable cars, you know, built in the sixties. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I remember meeting this the the instructors, as you do, you know, again cliche, all in love with. Uh, we had a female instructor called Jill. I fell in love with her, you know, as you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know that sort of stuff. Um, in fact, I, I still, I'm still friends with with her now. <laughs> we still have, we still have contact with. Her. She was my first ever skiing instructor. Amazing. Um, but then, you know, just yeah, every little bit about it. Um, I remember the the, the 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 skis that I was using. I, I was, I, I think, and that's possibly why I got hooked because. Everything was new. I'd never. I didn't come from a, a particularly sporty family. Yeah. Never done any skiing before, so everything was just you know. I, I took it all in as kind of a you know wide-eyed sort of yeah, kid. Yeah. You know, just everything. And 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 I, and I knew from that week, this was something that I was wanting to do, 
again and again and again. I was, you know, I knew that it wasn't going to be, I wasn't going to do one trip and then I would never do this again. Yeah. Whether or not, whether or not it was going to become a career, but I definitely knew that it was something I wanted to kind of pursue. The um, the it, it must have been amazing, wasn't it, for for those kids, especially say you know those maybe from a, a you know like say you were getting support or whatever might have yeah. been from a, a slightly less well off background or whatever, you know getting on a plane, you know yeah. for a start and then going to a different country, speak a different language, everything's new, everything's different. Like, it must have been just like your eyes must have been on sticks. Oh, you know, absolutely! You, you were out there. I wouldn't be surprised if some, you know, if some of them that that is still the, the one trip that they've ever been on. If yeah, been on. yeah, yeah. And and that's probably why it sticks in so many people's sort of memories. And yeah. Um, so it was a fantastic opportunity, an unbelievable opportunity. Um, yeah, yeah. And and for a lot of up until like we say till the COVID kicked in, I was still. In heavily involved in, in kind of still trying to promote these trips and mm. I used to and, and trying to kind of encourage new schools to get involved and we used to run some inspection trips where we'd take teachers across and try and, and you know show them around encourage them to kind of get schools involved and yeah schools are, st- schools are still keen if you can find the right teacher within them that's to, the to issue isn't things. it like uh, I think the, the if you think back to those days like the the, the sort of the way that safetyism has sort of come into our culture now, like it's very difficult for teachers to kind of branch out and do new stuff now because like you say, it requires these inspection trips. You can't just go into stuff blind with a group of kids like you might have done 20, 30 years ago. Right. Yeah. And I think that, I think the overall responsibility of, of a teacher to stand up and say, you know, I'll take responsibility for these, 50 kids and I'll yeah. stick them on a plane and I'll take them to another country. Yeah. It, it's a big, it's a big ask. And I, and I think, um, you know, it, it, somewhere, somewhere it needs to be made a little bit easier for these people to be able to do this because mm. I think, mm. I think the actual benefits of what children get out of these trips, and, and, and it doesn't have to be a skiing trip. It could be any sort of trip really. Yeah. But the, the benefit of getting away from, the norm getting out of you know the first time you leave your parents the first yeah, you become yeah. the, the independence that you have to kind of um kind of you know mm-hmm. that you're exposed to yeah. i think you know okay they may they may miss one week of school but what they gain from the trip i think they gain so so much from these trips yeah 100 percent. like it's it's uh, it's amazing actually this sort of i'm seeing it now and i bang on on this podcast about my own daughter but like you, we, the concept that we we talk about often and it's tough as a parent right it's tough like to 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 let go now you sort of you're gradually as a kid grows it's a process of letting go and giving them more and more and more independence and there's a kid over the road here who skis for ski valet um yeah he's a good skier and he's rated he's he's good good lad as well nice nice family nice people and he's just like so here in switzerland you can get yourself like an old Suzuki Jimmy and they have like a Jimny or whatever it is and they, they convert yeah. them somehow. So they're like just like 30 kilometer an hour rated cars. Um, okay. And this kid's 14 and he's like yeah. getting in his car, put his skis on the roof and going off to training in this car 
Wow. Like 14. Like, yeah. Bloody hell. That's, that's not that far away. It's like 10 yeah. years away. You know, my daughter yeah. could be doing this or riding one of them little, you know, uh, what do you call it? Them little motorbikes that have got the, you know, lawnmower engine in it or something. Oh, and yeah, yeah. Uh, like that's, you see that around here all the time. Um, and it's, yeah, like you say, it comes quick. But, yeah, it but yeah. it's so valuable for kids to say, no, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to pick up after you. I'm not do, I'm not, you know, yeah. not here to do this. You do it yourself. You work it out. Call me if you've got a real problem, but otherwise you, you do it. You be independent. Yeah. You know, it's good for them. It's really important. It, it is. It is. And I think also, you know, we are so sort of risk averse, you know, with, with, in terms of not letting our children possibly, you know, obviously we, we, we keep them safe and we don't want anything to happen to the children, but for sure, we, yeah. we've almost, we've almost, on the opposite side of that where we mm. try to kind of mitigate all the risks out of life um, to, to everything sanitised to the point where you know children aren't exposed to kind of yeah. these are sort of you know to experiences that they kind of allows them to develop and to grow and to kind of you know yeah to, been, to reach potential I guess yeah I was thinking about that the other day I was thinking about that when I was growing up and stuff and I used to just go out the door like in yeah. in, in a place called Enfield in North London which is not the nicest area but it was you know it was alright um, I wouldn't do it now necessarily in the way it's changed but the the oh, I used to be gone all day my mum wouldn't know yeah. where I was no you know <laughs> just somewhere around as long as you were back before the lights came yeah. on and everybody was happy. And you think, like, I wonder if you do that now, you know? Like, the kids here take themselves off to school. So when Zoe's five, you can sign up for a bus or whatever, and the bus stops outside, you know, the school bus or whatever. And, yeah. you know, they, they just jump on the bus and they're gone, you know, for the day. Um, yeah. And you see that quite a lot. You see kids walking to school in a little yellow thing and they just sort of take themselves, you know. But it's, um, God, I don't... It, <laughs> <laughs> from a parent's point of view you're like oh my god I'm going to be able to do that it's quite extraordinary um, yeah what were your first impressions so you remember it vividly because I've, I've skied in Norway yeah. I've skied in Kvitfell and it was okay. uh, I love the way that the hills are a bit more how would you say that, a bit more Scottish you know like they're a bit more rounded yeah. off you've got that yeah. sort of northern light that you get only in the north, you know, like where you, I don't know how to describe it. It's a bit softer, and the hills are a bit yeah. more round. You know, it's more hills than it is. You know, it's not like Aunt Chamonix or whatever. Everything's jagged and horrible and scary looking. Um, it's what were your impressions of Norway when you first went on those first few trips? Um, yeah, I, I guess in terms of the sort of the the scenery and the kind of the. The feel and the look is very similar to what you just explained. Um, I think what what I noticed was how how welcomed we were when mm. we went across there. You know, the, the people were very sort of friendly people. They were very um, and, and the the fact that you know when we went, which would be the late nineties sort of thing, everybody wanted to kind of have a bit of a chat to you because you were you were English and everybody wanted to kind of maybe practice their English a little bit. With, would they be able to understand a bunch of guys from from the northeast? Like they must have uh, like wow, they, this is quite difficult. Yeah, I'm, I'm only teasing you about your accent, but like, yeah. crikey! No, no, that's okay. But I, mean, <laughs> I think you know you've got to imagine that there was probably between like a thousand and 
1200 kids every sort of uh, winter that used to go across this small town so yeah the, the chances are we probably rubbed off on them there's probably, yeah, um, there's, pro- there's probably a jory accent going around uh, <laughs> us right now yeah <laughs> oh, amazing that's really mm. cool the people are lovely though aren't they norwegian oh, they are, yeah they're ex- extremely nice people and i think one of the things that, another thing that we noticed was just how quiet it was you know, mm. we kind of, you know, coming from sort of the northeast Newcastle sort of area. Mm. And then you go into, you know, the first time you're kind of in the mountains and like I say, Monday to Friday, you're pretty much the only people on the mountains. Yeah. Just the kind of the the actual sort of um, the quietness of the whole thing, the, the, how sort of um, secluded, you, not secluded is not the right word, but, um, you know, how yeah, kind yeah. of, uh, you know, you are exposed to the elements I guess um, just being out there um, in, in the mountains that we at the time not many of us would have experienced before really yeah 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 no, I'm with you I was surprised when I went to Kvitvel the sorry if uh, sorry Norwegian listeners if I'm butchering your language but the um, I was surprised how little infrastructure there was there yeah. it's not like going to I don't know, it's not like going to one of the big French resorts or something like that. It was like, you know, here's a little hut at the bottom, maybe a hotel or whatever it was. But the rest of yeah. it is like get on the mountain and that's that. Like there wasn't, you know, there's a couple of little restaurants and stuff, but there wasn't, it wasn't to the scale that you get in in the European Alps. No. Uh, I think a lot of Norway is like that where, they've, where they have lifts and like you say, that they may have a, a small hotel, or some, a small amount of infrastructure at the bottom. The, the, you, there's not many places what you would call an actual resort as mm. such. Mm. Um, they do seem to be sort of um, smaller sort of ski hills or, um, you know, there's, there's not, they're not the, the purpose-built sort of resorts that you may, like you see, you may find around the Alps and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where we were in in, in, in Voss, where, where we went on the trips and where I used to work, that, mm. that, was, a, that was a town. So yeah. it was, um, and quite a quite a lot of students go to this town to, to study, um, and you know there's a lot of farming around. So it was it mm. was more kind of a a working town that had a ski a, a resort with it. It wasn't you know it was kind of almost two separate things. Yeah. So so you went there then after so after these trips you went there you were you qualified as an instructor there, yeah. and you went there as a guard and you got. You know, scored yourself a job. You're a ski instructor now. Yeah. Who? What? Who are you teaching there? Were you you teaching English tourists or? Yeah, predominantly it was. So then I was teaching the kids that I used to be. Oh, um, cool. Amazing. So we used. So we had. We probably had about a ten week season with about a hundred kids each week. Wow. Um, they used to travel in. Uh, Wednesday was travel day, so they'd they'd arrive on the Wednesday. He'd teach from. The, the Thursday to the to the following Wednesday, uh-huh. uh, sorry Tuesday. Then you have you'd always have Wednesday off, yeah. which was quite a nice quite a nice day to have off because it was again then there was even less people on the mountain because yeah, yeah. there was no kid no kids there at all. So you always had a, a a good day to kind of ski around and things like that. Yeah, um, and yeah. So that that the, predominantly there were the that was what the majority of the teaching was, um, and we. No, I, I actually work with somebody now who I used to. I brought he, he returned back to the UK and he works for me now at the ski school. But I used to work yeah. with him out in Norway as well, um, and, and we laugh about it. it was, you know, at the time we, we used to grumble and say, "Oh, somebody's giving me a, a private lesson during the, the lunch break." 
Yeah. And, you know, you say, oh, I don't want to do this. Look, I, you know, I was ready to have an hour off. We used to do two hours teaching in the morning, yeah. two hours teaching in the afternoon, and that was it. We did four hours a day. Yeah. We did six days a week. It was the easiest, most enjoyable job I've ever had. <laughs> and it, 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 But you don't realize it until you look back. It was, yeah. you know, it was just, it, it, we couldn't have set it up and we couldn't have had a better sort of employment it was yeah it was a, it was a perfect sort of job to have ah cool that's really really cool so what was your so from these halcyon days where you you know the nice crazy weeks and stuff like that what what was your what where did your journey take you after that um so I, I, like i said i did that for a number of uh a number of seasons and then um i met my then to be sort of wife and realized that I probably need, you know, have a little bit more income because during the sort of summers I just used to bum around a little bit and <laughs> things yeah, like that, yeah, yeah. as you do at that age. Yeah. Um, so that, so that, so what I realised was I could then maybe do some teaching during the summer as well. Mm-hmm. So I had a little trip up to Sunderland where I am now, mm-hmm. um, to the ski slope. Um, I had a bit of a ski around. And while I was there, there was um, some advertisement up saying that there was going to be some instructor courses running. Okay. Um, and I thought, well, I'm already instructor, but this might be a good way of kind of getting a foot in the door. Yeah. So I, I spoke to some of the staff there. Um, they explained that, you know, the instructors here got quite well paid, things like that. And I thought, well, this could work. You know, spend yeah. winters in Norway, summers at the, in, in, in Sunderland. Okay. Um, so that's what I did. I, I, I enrolled on that instructor training course, which was the um, the first sort of, my first sort of steps into Snow Sports England okay. coaching scheme. Yeah. Um, at the time, it was a, it was called a club instructor. Yeah. I did I did that club instructor training, um, and again, one of the guys who was kind of helping out with on the training, I had a, turned out to be the the then ski school coordinator, <clears throat> and I had a, a little chat with him and said, you know, would there possibly be any um, work available? And he said, yeah. We, we can give you an interview and see, and, and that's kind of how it started. So I started teaching in the, the summers at the, at the ski slope here, the dry ski slope, uh-huh. and then um, winters out in Norway. Amazing. Wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then, and so your progression to be as qualified as you are now, was that through Snow Sports England? Or is it that, was. So yeah. you've gone all the so, way through that system? I did, yeah. So... Like I said, at the time, because I had a, a Norwegian qualification, I probably could have missed out a few steps. Yeah. But I, I don't know. What, I'm not even sure why I did it, but I just felt like I wanted to start at the beginning and work through the whole scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, almost like I kind of feel sometimes that you have to earn some things. That I just want to kind of, you know, take something. I want to kind of earn it, and I want to get involved in the system. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took at the time. You, you did a, a club instructor, which was the, the entry level sort of in, um, instructor sort of qualification for Snow Sports England. Yeah. Um, and then, it, then after the, um, I think the next year, I took a, an ASSI, which was an artificial ski slope instructor. Yeah. Um, I did that, um, and I used uh, I kind of used that qualification for for a while, and then I realised that the more that I was teaching on the dry ski slope and the more involved I was getting with the clubs and, and that sort of thing, I wanted to really sort of progress and kind of get a little bit more sort of education. Um, mm. So then I did, um, it was called an artificial ski, um, ASP, 
this all changes in a long time ago. It was in <laughs> Always an artificial ski slope, uh, artificial performance ski slope instructor, I think it was. Okay. Yes. Right. Some, something along those lines. It was a, an abbreviation. And, and so that was a, with Snow England, it tends to start off an instructional and then it moves into more coaching. Yeah. Okay. And this was the first sort of um, step in the instructional sort of um, pathway. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from that, then I did a, what was then classed as a development coach, um, which later turned into the, the level four, which they have now. We've moved into a, a four tier sort of system, kind of similar to what a lot of instructional sort of. Uh, so the system now goes one, two, three, four. It does, yeah. And, on the, and we should explain to everyone who doesn't really know how, how this works. So within within snow sports in the UK, you've also got, you, I think you've got snow sports Scotland, you've got snow sports England, presumably the Welsh right, yeah. have their own as yes. well, and and the Irish have their own. And yeah. so for those who don't really know, like what would be the difference between those and, say, the British Association who are... Uh, also, you know, active in the UK. Yeah, so so Snow Sports England is the actual it's the national governing body for skiing within the, within England. Okay. So it gets um, government funding. So the, the funding comes from um, Sport England, mm-hmm. um, and it, it works on a four year cycle. So they put a bid in every four years to get a to, then money is moved to the to the association to the to Snow Sports England, yeah. and then that. And then, so their role is to develop um, skiing all the way from grassroots through the performance. And with you, yeah. Um, and, that, and that's the, that's the same for snow sports Wales, snow sports Scotland, um, and the the not not the Irish Association as in uh, IASI. Yeah. Um, so the, and then um, so that, that they work separate to what. Sort of the what Basie would be Basie being a, a member association for um, accredited sort of ski instructors, what we class as sort of professional ski instructors. Yeah, Snow Sports England is more based around um, club based instructors or um, yeah, yeah, sort of team, <clears throat> team, team, team coaches, that sort of thing. Okay, all right, I'm with you, I'm with you, all right, and so. What I think we'll, we'll come back to where where you're working now, yeah, a bit later on. But what I'd really like to know a bit more about is is uh, let's not yeah let's let's talk about the the, the the sort of the dry slope scene in the UK if you like because um, I think it's important. It's it's where I learned how to ski. So I learned how to ski on Hemel Hempstead dry slope. Uh, well, just before I went on that initial school trip, so the, the yeah. school did like a little bit of kind of prep, you know, so that you weren't yeah. completely green when you you finally got out to Austria. And um, there were dry slopes all over all over the country, right? I remember skiing in Hemel. I remember going skiing in in Gosling, in Welling, uh, Welling, and various other places. Um, but there are there are dry slope skiing all over the UK before the advent of the kind of the indoor snow centre and stuff like that and they're still hugely popular because I know because I speak to Phil Brown all the time and he's always at like random places in the UK yeah. skiing on a dry slope and I'm like wow I didn't even know these places were existing yeah I think I think there's still currently about 60 slopes in the country that's amazing um, 
dry ski slopes and then i think there's probably seven indoor slopes something like that right um so they are still hugely popular and they range from you know slopes that may be 30 meters long yeah into slopes like hill end which is 400 meters long yeah um so the, the, there's a there's a, a huge sort of range of different sort of um facilities around yeah but it, it's a and, and they all run on a slightly different sort of, you know, in, in different sort of ways. So some are completely club-based where it'll be run by volunteers. Mm. Some are run by local authorities. Some are run by private companies. Um, they all have a, a different sort of model of, um, of running these um, facilities. Yeah. But, but they all kind of facilitate the same sort of need for people to be able to learn how to ski and to develop. And, and you know, we're developing people on, on these ski slopes from complete beginners mm. into people who are, you know, national, you know, hitting sort of uh, national teams and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. the actual, the, the, the quality of the, the people that it's producing is, is quite unbelievable, really. And also the, the actual enthusiasm that people have around these centers, again, is, is, is phenomenal, really. Um, the, there is a little bit of a of snobbery and you hear it sometimes you know on social media and things like that where you know people don't come because it's not real ski and it's plastic and it's you know yeah, it, I mean. it's dangerous it hurts when you fall over it's not the same sensation it's not but you know the, these facilities are if you take just our slope for example yeah on a weekend we have a, a, a grassroots club called the polar bears club which you know a lot of sort of centers have we have over yeah. 200 we have over 250 children on a saturday and a sunday going through a you know a, a, a coaching scheme wow. um, and that's week in week out without fail that's um, amazing whether you know whether it's 25 degrees warm or it's you know hailstone and, and um wind blowing these kids turn up week in week out with the parents and, and, and ski and that that's, that's incredible. You know, and, and that's not just us. That happens across the country. Yeah, yeah. And so each one of these, each one of the dry slope centres has presumably. So it has the. It has. I'm guessing. Right. So correct me if I'm wrong. Um, so I'm guessing it has like a club like a sort of weekend club or something like that, like a, like you would do if you're interested in football, right? You sign up and you go to your own local club or whatever. Um, and then I'm guessing it also has the ability to, to kind of do private lessons and stuff like that, as, it, as you would in, a, in any kind of regular ski school. And then yeah, also I'm guessing after, after school or after work in the evenings during the week, there's also a whole bunch of other kind of supplementary things, you know, maybe like the race club or something like that, you know, that, that goes on so that you've kind of got something going on most of the time. Yeah, that's, that's exactly, I mean, as a, that's exactly sort of the model that we run here um, mm -hmm. at Sunland. So we have, <clears throat> we have a, a team of instructors and we offer um, private tuition, whether that be skiing or snowboarding. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have, like you say, we have the club structure. So what, Generally, once people have had a few lessons, they can then join these clubs um, and stay long term and, and join a sort of a, a development pathway. Mm -hmm. um, and then from those, from that club, which is, I guess, what we call our sort of internal club, um, we then signpost them into the external sort of club. So we have a, a very successful sort of race club here mm -hmm. uh, set up. And then we have some freestyle clubs and snowboard clubs and things like that. So we, we move them into the more... Um, uh, specific sort of clubs once they're 
they feel that they're ready for that sort of um, development sort of pathway. You know, they're, they're ready for that next sort of stage. Um, and it, it, all, yeah. kind of, it, all, it all ties together well. It all looks good. We've been trying to do that here. I'm, I'm very conscious with my ski school not to get away from our core business. And I've got to be, I, I have so many ideas that I like. <laughs> Look at my chart here. Like I've got a whole bunch of ideas already for next season, which I'm starting need to, to get going with, to be honest. But I'm very conscious not to move away from our core product, which our core product is teaching people how to ski in like a private lesson environment. But yes. you get kids to a certain level and you know that just doesn't cut it anymore so what you've got to do is that you've got to kind of have like you say some outlets for them right and so one of the things that we launched last year which we're going to be doing definitely rolling out because it was so successful last year is is you know put in place like a freestyle club um you know and maybe a race club or something so yep. you've got some channel for these excellent young skiers that we produce to go into depending on on what their their um their interest is right and so yeah like I'm, I'm guessing you've got the same setup or you're telling me that you've got the same setup where you are yeah and, and, it, and it works exactly like that so we, we almost need these um clubs this are the race club or the freestyle club to draw the, to draw them first of all into the lessons mm. and then through our sort of uh, what you call our sort of grassroots um club and then into these sort of speciality sort of areas yeah um and it all feeds off each other so yes the race club and the freestyle club need us to do the beginner lessons but we need those clubs to exist to give somebody an aim to move towards like almost like a pathway to, to aim at yeah um and as yeah. long as everybody kind of buys into it and is pulling in the same direction and we have a quite a good sort of um uh, movement through the through the centre and through the through the clubs. Um, mm. it, it's been it's been working for quite a while. Um, and then what we also find is we end up with children or you know at, at a certain point who who maybe aren't as competitive or have been competitive and have stopped competing and things. And then they're still looking to stay within the sport. Mm. And generally, they end up becoming sort of the the instructor team. We have a, you know we end up kind of running instructor courses and these. So we, we have people who are working here now who have been members of a club when they were maybe six years old who are now instructors at the slope. Yeah. Um, and they've been through the whole system, so they know exactly how the slope runs, what the kind of the systems are in place, what the sort of the, I guess, the philosophy of the, the centre is. And yeah. then one, yeah. once they've qualified as instructor, they're ready just to step in and to carry on. Oh, that's really cool, isn't it? Like, so you've got something for everyone and you've got a, a con continuity of like tradition and uh what would you say what would you call it like um like the values you know yeah. like those young instructors are learning from the old boys and girls and you know they take that as long as you kind of keep that um as long as you've got a fair idea of what your values are you can keep that going all the way through your exactly. your instructor team right yeah and, and this also is one of the this is one of the benefits of the, the Snow Sports England sort of coaching scheme because yeah. it's very much sort of um, facility based, shall we say? Yeah. Um, so you would do, you know, if you would do your training, so let's say it was a, a level one or a level two training, which would be a set amount of hours, normally a weekend sort of course. Mm -hmm. But then there, you have to 
you have a, a workbook that you have to kind of complete and part of that workbook is about how the centre runs you know what are the you know all things from what are the health and safety sort of um, procedures that you have at the centre who are the you know your point of contacts at the centre you know so by the time they get through their training then they yeah. have to also log a certain amount of hours Yeah. so they have to do a minimum of 20 hours um, actual on the hill with the instructor so we break that down to thirds, where the first third is just watching lessons. Second third is you starting to maybe do a few demonstrations for the instructor. And the third um, part of that training would be you start to deliver yeah. parts of the, the actual lesson and things like that. So by the time they come at this training, you have somebody who's site-specific trained. Yeah, and, yeah. You, know, you're not, you don't have to bring somebody in and then train them in the, in the systems of the centre. These mm. people have already gone through a process which allows them to be it's almost like a short apprenticeship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, they're, so they're ready. They're ready for work once they're qualified. Huh? That's really cool, isn't it? Like it, we, yeah. That's always one of the most difficult things when we bring on. We, I'm, I'm so lucky because I've got a complete returning team for next year. Um, yeah. And like no one knew, and no one, and in fact, well, I've got, um, I've got a new new guy coming on board. Hi, Dave. If you uh, if you're listening, um, but he already knows the area. And this is one of the, 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 the biggest kind of, the, when you, you're bringing new people on board, and I suppose that's, that applies to you as it, as it does to me, in that there's certain tips and tricks that apply to any local resort that you've got to know in order to be able to, you know, either ski it effectively or know how it all works, you know, that, that kind of thing, which lift is best to go to with yeah. this level of skier, you know, where's the, where's the little cut through, which means I can avoid the steep bit of this particular slope, all those kind of local things Absolutely. that you need to know yeah. in order to deliver a really, really quality session for your yeah. client. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's always, it's always great to get somebody new in, like we do here at times, we can get you get an outsider in that come with some new ideas and things like that. Mm. But like going back to what you say, having having a team that knows how things run and what the systems are and how um, you know, yeah. just it makes everything a lot smoother and it it, it, it it's a you then not that you you ever want a kind of a very strict product, but you have a an identity, I guess, of what you kind of deliver. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh, I'm with you. Oh, that's cool. That's really, really good. When did you? Um, so, so you're in charge of the centre. How, how did that all come about? Like, how did you? Uh, how did you? How did you end up in your lofty position of power? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, kind of a, a, a longish story, but I'll try and make it fairly quick. So, I I've got all day, got mate. In, you carry. You carry. Yeah, when I when I got involved, um, obviously teaching here. Um, it, it was at the time it was a um, it was run by a local authority by the uh-huh. local council. Um, I was owned and ran by the local authority, um, so they had a position in place which was the ski school coordinator. Mm-hmm. Um, so the gentleman who was in that position, yeah, circumstances changed. So he left, and they said, "John, would you be interested in kind of doing this role?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah, I would." And, you know, that's kind of a a, a good sort of progression for me. Um, so I did that role, um, and I very quickly realised. I think I did it for at the time. I did it for probably maybe about a year, and I very quickly realised that working for local authority with all the red tape and all the yeah, was extremely frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where it actually it, it, it put me off the uh, scheme. Um, or, or it, 
that side of things soured the, yeah. the, the instruction side of things. And I, and I took a step back. I said, you know, this is not for me. I don't want to be involved. Um, and I actually left and, and joined the family business. Okay. Um, and I did that for about 10 years. Yeah. But during that time, I didn't stop coaching. Yeah. So I was always involved with the race team here. Mm-hmm. So even though I wasn't instructing on a day-to-day basis, I was always here on club nights, still coaching with the with the club. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got more involved also with um, actually tutoring and delivering instructor courses. Yeah. So that's that's kind of what I did. So alongside working for the family business, I did that for about ten years. So I was um, tutoring courses. I was uh, sort of developing and running the sort of the the coaching program with the race club. And mm-hmm. so I kept in all the time with. I never let my sort of connections with Snow Sports England fall away. I just mm. fell away from the slope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then what happened was, like a lot of sort of um, local authorities in the UK, they decided to put it out to tender oh. to, for, a, for an external company to run yeah. um, the, on their behalf. So the company that I work for now, Everyone Active, yeah. um, they, they were the successful bidders. They they took over running the centre and they they very quickly realised that they needed somebody actually in a position to be able to drive the ski sort of um, side of things. Yeah. Because um, at the facility here we have a so some foot, we have football outdoor football pitches these three D pitches and we have a athletics field and oh, wow. as a sort of a whole complex. Yeah. Um, but they very quickly realised that they needed somebody a bit more specific to the ski side of things. Yeah. Um, they couldn't just have like the normal centre manager. Mm-hmm. Um, so they advertised the job um, as a, you know, at the time it was still classed as a ski school coordinator and I, and I applied for that job and I was successful in getting that. So I did, uh, that was about five years ago now. Oh, okay. Um, and since then, the, the roles developed into, you know, I have a, a title of general manager. So yeah, <laughs> sounds sounds very big and grand. It's, it's not, but it sounds, <laughs> um, but um so yeah, so that that was that was what that's how I kind of ended up being in the position that I am now, and, and it's probably the best sort of step that I've done really because it, it allows me so much sort of freedom to develop the ski slope here, to develop the instructors. It gives me much more contact with snow sports and other sort of um, you know external sort of ski clubs and groups yeah. and things like that so it's, it's been a, a really good sort of step for me it was it kind of came at the right time if that makes sense yeah 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 well, at least sometimes these things are meant to be right hope you enjoyed the first half of the interview with John uh, I had a lovely chat with him and uh, and I think there was really good chemistry in this interview and, and I very much enjoyed enjoyed speaking to him um, so since uh, since I last uh, recorded a podcast uh, some information from the Canton Ballet here in Switzerland has has landed on my desk and and uh, it looks like um, everyone has now finally realized that brexit is happening so uh, so we've got some um, I've got a letter here, sitting here from 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 Switzerland, in effect, that says now that the UK is a third-party country, um, ski instructors can no longer come uh, here and work, or British ski instructors can go no longer come here and work, and that's as a direct consequence of Brexit. Um, so that's going 
to make my sort of summer recruitment program uh, quite interesting. Um, still looking at ways that it might be possible to get my the, the amazing team that I put together last year. Um, still, you know, looking at ways that, that we should, we might be able to get those guys to come here and work. I, I think there is there is a way. Um, and I expect probably that Swiss will change the law on that at some point, but it's affecting people all over the Alps, it's affecting people in Italy and France, and uh, and I guess it's a matter of time before the Swiss have some sort of bilateral agreement on, on people going backwards and forwards. Um, but in effect, because of Brexit, because they're out of the EU, the priority from an employment point of view for a Swiss ski school has to go, you know, Swiss people, European people, and then you have to have a really, really good reason to have people from what they call a, a third third country in effect you know so that lumps the brits in in effect with uh with with south africans kiwis australians etc etc so uh interesting times um for me and it'll be interesting summer um we've got a lot of work to get through there's already loads of loads of bookings and stuff going in the diary for for next winter so uh so really got to start um getting that sorted out fairly soon um I will touch a little bit more on that particular subject in the next interview that I've got. So I've already got interviews, which will be episode 36 and 37, um, which is a two-part interview with Peter Cure. Um, and we talk a little, you know, we touch on, on this whole Brexit thing um, when uh, when we have that, that interview. So you'll, you'll get that uh, fairly shortly. Um, in part two of this interview with John, we talk about sort of participation in, in snow sports at the, 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 the grassroots level. Um, we touch on technique for, for uh, there's actually a really good good section in this interview where we touch on technique for, for dry slope and sort of quirks of, of teaching and, and teaching on a, on a dry slope and on what that surface is like to, uh, to teach on. So um, I hope you enjoy this and I will catch up with you uh, episode 36 which will be when well, I'll get on that as soon as I can because there's been a couple of months delay um, on this one. Uh, enjoy the interview. Tell me about these kids that, that you have coming in at the weekends. So you've got, you know, you've got say 250 kids there. But how, how, how is it organic that you get them in in the first place? Or do you, I mean, as in, do you wait for them to come to you? Or, or how, how does, how do you attract people into skiing in a fairly, oh, I say, oh, say urban environment because the northeast you know it's pretty wild right there's a lot of it yeah. but but you know how do you get so many kids coming to you are you actively marketing to them or is it just kind of a, a um a sort of organic grassroots kind of interest that comes um it, we're kind of lucky here um, in one sense because with the there is no other ski slopes around us you mm. probably have to travel about two hours either north or south or, or, yeah. or west of us to, to find the next sort of ski slope. So anybody that has sort of any interests in that sort of thing are, are going to automatically come to us yeah. without having to. So we, we are lucky in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't actively sort of um, advertise or promote too much for that for that grassroots club. It, it is quite organic. It kind of works a lot on word of mouth. Yeah. Um, we end up having a bit of a, a waiting list for people to get into certain sort of levels and things like that. Um, wow. It works. It works very similar, actually, to kind of how 
how a lot of places run swim lessons. You know, yeah. so you you bringing the kids along when they've, they've never done anything, just as a kind of a try, a, t- a taste, and then yeah, one, and then we just hook them up into the club and take them through. Wow. Um, and, and we've got what we've actually had to do. Now we've actually put an age limit on, so now it runs. So we, we don't sort any of our teaching sort of kids here until full, um, right. just because the days are a little bit more physical than what it would necessarily be on on snow. Um, and then we we have a cut off at fourteen um, mm-hmm. with the club, so we say you can stay in the club from four to fourteen. But then once you get to fourteen, we we then you know we try and move them in. If they haven't already moved into some of the external clubs, we try and encourage them to move to those external clubs. Yeah, just simply so we can allow space to be there for us to kind of move people into. Um, where we do actively sort of sort of work and um, try and advertise or try and kind of create um, footfall in the centres through the schools. Um, mm. You know, we, we try and work quite heavily with schools around the area to try and encourage them to come out and do, you know, lessons and things like that at the centre. So that yeah. there's probably more, more of a drive from that side and then once you know we, we do get children obviously from who have been on trips with the school who then go back home and speak to the parents and say I like this and then the yeah. parents bring them along and, and, and join them in the clubs um, but I would say the most of the, the, the majority of the kind of the, the promotion of those clubs is is in, in centre so mm. you know the, the, the instructor will have a lesson with some kids you know the kids enjoy it they speak to the parents you yeah. know, we tell them about the club and they join the club and then we've probably got them for about 10 years. Ah. But, but presumably, like, part of that, though, is, like you say, one, you've got a sort of semi-captive market because you've got, you know, it's a long way to the Chill Factory or Hill End or wherever, yeah. right? Um, and the other the other thing about that, I suppose, is just the length, the sheer length of time that that place has been there, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, it it has its own kind of gravity to a certain extent because it's you know sort of it's just been established such a long time. Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the ironic things is we we actually have a lot more participation from outside of the Sunderland area. Right. Um, so people travelling from Northumberland or yeah, maybe from from slightly further south, Hartlepool and Darlington, things like that we we get a bigger proportion of our users. Yeah. They were outside of the Sunderland area, huh. um, almost like it's because it's on the doorstep. Well, it's always been there. Whereas, yeah. you know, people from further afield are kind of, you know, looking for something that's a little bit different outside of their area. Maybe. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Presumably, though, also Sunderland's got a whole bunch of other stuff too. That's like that kids yeah. could do. I would imagine, well, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, we're fight. You know, like most sort of sports in the in the UK, we fight against football and, yeah. and things like that, where it's a very sort of easy easy draw or easy. It's a, you know, they're, they're the that's the sport that kind of takes the majority of people, including girls as well now, because yeah. female football has massively increased in participation and things like that. Yeah. Um, so that that's the big sort of one that you kind of fight against. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, it's good. I mean. It's it's great to see you know when you know when you have a weekend and the, and the hill is just full of kids of all different ages and abilities and levels and yeah you know when we've got you know in the winter time we could have up to twenty instructors on the slope at different times you know working with all these kids and lessons and things so it's yeah yeah it's great to see yeah, cool that's so good so good to hear that there's such a big scene going on like it's it's really yeah. awesome um, 
Let's talk about dry slope skiing. You've just mentioned something. One, my, my kind of my ears have pricked up, and I, I want to know why. Um, but so here we're often teaching. You know, we'll do two-year-olds. It's probably too young, but yeah. you know, we'll, we can and have done that kind of initial on-snow experience. But the the big here thing here in Switzerland is, oh, you know, if they're not on skis by two, they're not going to be able to ski. It's like, yeah, okay, well, yeah, fair enough. But that doesn't really hold any water at all. But the the it's just a thing that I think parents like to do, including me. Yeah. By the way, I got suckered into that. But the um, yeah. but why why would you? You said something about the difference between the surface, the the, 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 the artificial slope surface. So yeah. why could you only do that from four years old onwards? Or is that a, just a, a choice to do with the, the volume of numbers that you're getting? Yeah, it's it's not that we couldn't do it with children any younger, mm. but it, it is, we do find that the, the, the plastic slope or the dry slope is a little bit more physical. Um, mm. we, so to start with, on our sort of, at least on our sort of nursery sort of areas that we have, yeah. um, we don't lubricate the slope. So you have, you know, on the main hill, we lubricate it so it runs a little bit uh, with a little bit less friction. We, we don't do that in the nursery slopes simply so we can kind of control people's movements and things like that. Um, so it becomes a little bit more difficult for them to slide to start with in That's terms fair. of the, the size and the weight and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But also because, because we're in such a, a closed environment such a small area yeah it's it, there's a lot of repetitive so you know it's not like you can stand at the top of a fairly shallow sort of hill and, and, and ski for 10 minutes and, and have a bit of fun on the way down it's, yeah. it's a little bit more it's a little bit more repetitive you know you have to kind of um go over some things a, a number yeah. of times um and where we are our setup in terms of lift infrastructure is Again, is a little bit more difficult. You know, we don't have a magic carpet. If we had a magic carpet, then we probably would um, take some kids who are a bit younger. But if you're going to kind of, yeah, you know, almost carry a kid up or sidestep a kid up, or then eventually ask them to kind of use a rope tow on there in the beginner area where we are, yeah, it, it, all these things are quite physical. Mm -hmm. So in terms of us being able to deliver a quality sort of lesson and to get some sort of, um, so for the child to get benefit from that lesson. Mm. We just feel here at our centre, four is about it, the, the earliest that we feel comfortable um, delivering those sort of things because we don't want to. What we want is we want the kids to enjoy that session. We want the parents to think that they're getting value for money. We want you know the whole package to work yeah, yeah. so that they so that they continue coming. Um, and we just don't want. We never really want anybody to kind of go away and say, "No, that was just too hard. That was enjoyable. You know, the kids are crying and that's all that sort of stuff," because then. It's a hard sell to get them back in. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, for, so, for, that, for that very reason, like I don't sell uh, anything longer than a one-hour lesson to yeah. kids that are uh, that's that's exclusive product for under fives, right? Like, so we yeah. don't we won't do it, um, yeah. despite the number of requests that we get. You know, in winter or you yes. know, oh, oh, it's half term. You know, I need a half term booking. Have you got? You know, a three-hour lesson for my three-year-old, and I'm like, yeah. no, like, why would you do that? Exactly. You know, I know exactly. you want to ski. I get it, but you know, and I'm sorry if I'm offending. Well, in fact, I'm not sorry if I'm offending anyone. But like, <laughs> if I'm, you know, you've got a three-year-old. Why wouldn't you want to hang out with your kid and ski exactly. on the slope, right, with your kid? Um, 
You know, why would you I want to drop them off? I, I get that you want to ski, but yeah. you know, in that case, find a different solution for your child, right? Like, yeah, you know, or, it becomes a, it becomes almost, I guess, from some people's point of view, maybe it's a little bit like a. Um, well, it's like, probably what it is. Like, it's babysitting, right? It, it, babysitting, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's exactly the word I was looking for. Yeah, yeah, um, and and you know, we are. I regard us as as professional teachers, right? And and so we're yeah. there to do a decent job for for that hour. And, and frankly, most most four-year-olds and three-year-olds have only really got about 40 minutes in them anyway and after that exactly. you're kind of you know flapping around but if you do a few sessions like that or a series or a season's long worth of sessions like that i find you make much much better progress than having the kids in in you know like a, a week of ski school you know f- three hours a day or lunch plus a sleep like it's I, fine there are people who give give that product I get it, right, and they're they're happy to yeah. do it, but it's not something that I want to be involved in. We, we would much rather the children end the session, you know, not wanting to stop, you know. So yeah, happy it was a positive kind of, experience, you know, right? Yeah, yeah. We don't want them to come off. We don't want them to be running off the slope crying. We want them to be coming off because you know we want them to be saying, "Oh, come, come, can we do that again?" Oh, I don't want to stop or whatever. That's a much mm-hmm. better place to finish a lesson than it is to kind of, you know be trying to pacify them from the fact oh, i see it so much you know like i see on the mountain in, in in peak holiday times i see one instructor trying to juggle you know they got a full morning session with like eight three-year-olds and you're just like you're not getting anything done here like little johnny no. over there needs the loo so you've all got to go to the loo exactly you know little johnny over there is crying you've got one at the bottom of the slope you know making the snowman you've got two kids over here one's on the floor one's falling off the gadget carpet i'm like Who's paying for this, really, exactly. like, as a product? You know, all we've got to do is hang around for 20 minutes and you'll see just how bad that product is. You know, it's awful. Um, yeah. it, it really winds me up to see that because obviously someone's paid good money for that. And it's and it's hard. It's not fair on the instructor. It's not fair on the kid. You know, the only person who really benefits is the, 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 the parent, I, I suppose, who gets to go and ski for three hours on their yeah. own. But And, and that's, that can be the only... Yeah, but yeah. The only benefit that comes from that situation. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I'm being controversial. It's just my opinion. And if you don't like yep. it, you know, I get it. I get why people would want to have three hours of themselves. But wouldn't it be nice, like, to you know, get your kid some tuition and then go skiing with your kid? I love yeah. going skiing with my daughter. I think it's brilliant. You know, I'm not going yeah. as fast as I want to go for sure. Well, in fact, most yeah, of the time I am actually. But the yeah, um, <laughs> yeah it's fine by me. And my pootling around in the basic parallel is fine. But the uh, but you know that that's part of it, isn't it? It's part of having a child that you want to spend some time with them and go skiing with them. Right? You, you work the whole of the rest of the year for the fifty-one other weeks that you're not you're not there on holiday with your child. It's weird. I don't get it. Yeah. I don't no. get it. Now there you go. It's me being preachy. It's easy for me. That's it. Um, what I was going to say to you. So so it's a question of the. No, let, let me take you to a different different bit of this same question. Okay. Talk to me about what dry slope is. So for those people who are lucky enough never to have seen one uh, or, you know, skied on snow their whole life, like what is it made out of? What are you skiing on? Like what is the, the surface? Okay. Um, so there's a, there's, a, there's a few different sort of surfaces that are available and, and different slopes have. Um, the one that we have here is, is a Dendex surface. Um so basically, if you imagine um, the bristles of a, a toothbrush, mm. but much more coarse and, and, and longer, obviously. Yeah. That's the that, that's kind of the, and it's made up of small diamonds. So you, you buy a, it, it's it's a it's a 
an interwoven um, number of mats. So the mats come in about a one by one and a half meter sort of um, mm-hmm. size, yeah. um, and they're all tied together. And this, so you imagine you've got this upturned nylon toothbrush, basically, and that's what you ski. That's what you ski on. Um, but it's actually, it, it sounds ridiculous, but it, 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 it performs pretty good really um and if you say the, the level of what people actually ski on this stuff you know it's yeah it's quite and it, and it last you know the, the the thing is we 365 days a year no matter what there is it doesn't stop us you know you can skate all the time um it's always there it's and it's a, it's a great sort of product you know for developing yeah. skiing yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, well you i mean get, you yeah. can't get away with, you can't Sorry, I was going to say, like Dave Riding, it was all right for Dave Riding, right? So, yeah, you know, yeah, didn't hold him back. No, no, exactly. So, so, um, what I wanted to say or ask you, so then the, the frictional properties of that surface, right? That it, how does it, you, you spent, I know you spend a fair amount of time out here, you know, on, uh, Alpine snow as well. Like, well, how does it compare? Is it? Would you say it's slower, faster? Yeah. Is it more so, consistent? Is it the same consistency all the way down? Do you get consistencies, different consistencies within what is essentially supposed to be the same surface? Uh, how, how, yes. does, how does that go? So, so, so even though it's an artificial surface, Dave, it does change depending on what the the weather is or what the kind of conditions are. Okay. Um, so, if you take our main hill, for example, it's 160 meters long. Right, and and we have a, a mist system on that, um, so we use the mist system to try and make it a consistent sort of, um, you know, to make it as consistent as possible to scale on, and also to make the to to reduce the friction that builds up yeah. on, on the. Um, but if you get a if you get a windy day and the and the the, the, the mist is getting blown off the slope, then yeah. it could be it could be running considerably slower. If you get a a really really hot day. And you know, lots of people kind of to tell you this who ski in the summer, yeah. you can almost smell the bases of the ski starting to warm up, you know, and starting uh-huh. to, you know, to bubble underneath. <clears throat> um, yeah. yeah. And then if you get a day where it's very cold, or you know, just you know, which it drops and it's it's a wet day, or it's a, uh, a there's snow on the slope, or a nicey day, then it obviously runs a, a lot faster again. Uh-huh. Um, in in terms of I guess the sensation, the closest thing that we can kind of, what we kind of try to explain to people, it's a bit like skiing on ice very slowly. So the grip that you get yeah. uh, is a bit like, you know, skiing on quite hard, packed or icy sort of conditions. Yeah. But you don't, but you don't have that instant sort of acceleration, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so that, that's a kind of a, a, a good way of describing how it kind of performs. Okay. But but that's also why it's such a great learning tool. Um, because, because it's it, consistent. Because you can't cheat on the on the plastic. Yeah. You can't yeah. get away, you can't get away with anything. You have to be extremely precise with the kind of the movements that you make or the kind of the, the pressure that you're managing or to be able to kind of if you're going to perform at a high level. You know, yeah. you, 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 there's just no way of kind of cheating. Um, so when you do finally get back onto skiing on snow, mm. 
you're so much you're so much more prepared or you're so much better than what you would, would potentially be if you didn't do that sort of practice in between that was that was i do remember that being a uh being my experience and i i also say this to kids that we have kid groups of kids that we have coming out here who've done so we we have a group that comes out from um from the uk they come out from 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 northeast london and they they do some practicing i can't remember exactly where it is that they go be somewhere around that area i can't remember exactly where it's a dry slope and they they you say you know they ask you the question you know what's it like skiing real snow it's like well compared to what you're used to actually it's easier and so when they put the skis on for the first time and they're kind of just feeling their way, it's like, oh, actually, this is really easy. Yeah. Like, and it gives them a lot of confidence to go on, you know, because I think you probably, with, with real snow, you can get away with, you know, a little bit of kind of imprecision here and there. Yeah. But not so much on the dry slope, right? Like it really teaches you to be, I, I suppose what I'm saying is though, if you've got like a consistency of response from the surface and you know that that surface is always going to give you the same thing, then you can yeah. be really, really precise in your movements, right? Like you can trust the surface if you like. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it will perform, you know, you, you won't have the differences in sort of, you know, icy sort of conditions at the top of the hill and, and slush by the time you get down the bottom of the yeah. valley. Yeah. You, you, you ne- you're never going to get that. And obviously we don't have the, we don't have the, the altitude or, or the, mm. you know, anyway, you know, the, the kind of the, the vertical drop. Um, but you, you are going to get the same, your skis will perform the same at the top of the hill as what they will perform at the bottom of the hill. You know, yeah. the, the, matting, the matting won't change. Um, so as long as you kind of, like you say, you just have to, you just have to kind of tweak the kind of your technique a little bit to allow you to be able to perform. Um, and you've just got to be a little bit more sensitive, I guess. Mm. than what you would necessarily what we what you would need to be when you're on snow when you're um when you're skiing on that kind of surface does it support the same kind of like edge angles do you get people making like crazy angles or or is it are the skis a bit more underneath you or you know do, do, do the do the brushes on the the dendex support big pressure movements so the will the, the will the will support and if you if you see some of the kids who are kind of uh, racing on the kind of the on the race scene, mm. these kids are skiing at a, a phenomenal sort of level. Mm. Um, and you can't you can't create sort of big edge angles. What you will find is, and if you want somebody to tune your skis, get some race kids from the UK to tune your skis because they will be able to make these skis <laughs> sharper than anything that you've ever seen in your life. Because if they're, if they're not super sharp. Yeah. then it won't work. So you, you've got to be able to look after your equipment as well if you want it to perform, ah. um, or if you want it to that high level, shall we say. Um, so, yeah, it, it is possible. You, you'll probably find that the, the general public, shall we say, yeah. probably ski with the feet underneath them a little bit more, you know, a little bit more sort of possibly tentative because they don't feel that the support is there because yeah. the bristles will only take so much before they want to break away. And like I say, if you don't have that, extremely yeah. sort of well serviced pair of skis you're not going to get that sort of performance uh-huh. uh, but it but it is possible it is possible to kind of you know to 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 create sort of large sort of ski angles and things like that uh, that's cool because phil was saying to me that there were a few tips and tricks and some crazy stuff that the kids were doing with their edge angles that that you would 
you wouldn't get away with on snow when I spoke to Phil yeah. about this. Yeah. Um, I, I'm well, not I'm, sure exactly what the specifics were of it, but you're saying they were doing some some absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, the, like I say, the kids will. The, the guys who are selling skis love the dry ski, the, the, the dry slope scene because the short and the edges so often, you know, kids go through two, three pairs of skis in a season. All right. Easy. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, they'll take a, a normal sort of race, sort of a club night here when we have a race club on. Mm. They'll, they'll probably ski for 45 minutes and then they'll shorten the skis again, ski for another 45 minutes. They would never go through it. Or they'd have two pairs of skis, so they'd have a, a short pair, and then they'd swap them for the next short pair. Oh wow! Um, Is that because but, of the bristles are, are dulling the edges, or because yeah. they've got them too sharp and and they lose the the sharpness quite quickly? It, it, the surface dulls the edges, yeah. Oh, so wow. it, it dulls them right up. So where you you know where you may sharpen your skis, you can see when you're on snow, if you're doing a camp or something like that, yeah, you, you'd be doing them every yeah. Half hour, forty-five minutes, maybe something like that on the dry skis up. Wow, that's crazy. If, again, if you want, if you want to perform that sort of high level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh wow, yeah. that's really cool. Um, and, yeah. and then some, and then like you say, there are some sort of tricks and things, and and we don't really encourage. But what you'll find is as the as the kids get a bit older, they start to ceramic the edges as well. So they'll run the ceramic sort of edge and tool down the edge, and it puts a almost a hook on the. Uh, Onto the edge, oh, so, right. it com- so it completely grips. It's very. Di- why we don't encourage it with our younger kids is because it's very difficult to make any adjustments to kind of maybe steer the ski or to you know you just have if you're just going to completely rail the ski. Yeah, it'll run like it's on rails. But yeah, the you know you can use a ceramic to put this little hook on, which kind of grips the the, the man even more. Wow, but you could, but presumably that makes it very very hard to make any kind of rotational skidding movement. Absolutely, yeah. So unless you're 100% bang online it's yeah. very difficult then to kind of make those adjustments or make those kind of changes during a run wow that sounds wild yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, to, uh, I'd love to know more about so the beginner area yeah right so we have a you were saying earlier that, that I don't know how many places have have this sort of mythical ideal beginner slope I know two that, that would work that work quite well. There's one in Chatel in France, which is a long kind of perfect, um, perfect gradient, you know, like long, not that wide actually, but it's a really Hello? cool place. Oh, you still there? Hello? Yeah, I'm there. I lost you for a second. Oh, uh, it's all right. Um, Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Can you hear me? Okay, you got me, yeah. Yeah? Okay. Good. I can, yes. Um, no, I know of a couple of places that have got this sort of mythical kind of perfect beginner slope. So there's one in Chatel, but it's not that wide, but it's a great gradient and it's got a um, uh, you know, perfect gradient, not too fast, perfect for learning how to ski, and it's, it's served by a magic carpet uh, in a tunnel. So you, know, you don't even get too cold on the way up. In, the, in April, you boil in that tunnel. But the, yeah. the you know, I know another place that, is uh, so for example in Nenda in a place called uh, Sivier they've got served by they've got a, like a very very gentle uh, green slash blue run that's served by a chairlift it's like 7k's long you know you could learn to ski in a uh, in a day on that no problem at all but 
in most places there are flaws with like the beginner beginner setup um you know for example where we are you'd probably start your client off in say morjan where there's a magic carpet but that run is if anything it's like 20 25 meters long right so it's not very long and then the next stage up is a is, is served by a, a t-bar and then that slope itself is kind of got some horrible kind of bumps and steep bits in it and then the third progression is terrible so we normally take clients to a different resort after that and so on and so forth so we're kind of working within the limitations of of what the resort gives you and in most places i think the beginner areas are quite underserved um certainly that's my experience around around here but so so your beginner area you said you don't miss it because you don't want it to go you don't want it to run too fast yeah is, is it also served by a rope toe or a magic you said it wasn't you haven't got a magic carpet no, you know, it's, it has a rope toe. Um, and obviously a lot of the infrastructure that we have is just because historically that was what was built. Yeah. Um, and then obviously financial sort of restraints. No, ideally I would stick to COVID in tomorrow. Um, and that would, that would revolutionize what we could do in terms of, you know, teaching children and getting them involved and things like that. Um, one of the, so why, I, why don't you? Why why won't they make that? Well, I don't want to throw your your, your bosses under the bus, but, but like, is a magic carpet hugely expensive? Uh, yeah, I believe um, about thousand pound a meter. No way. Yeah, I believe so. Wow. So okay, <laughs> we probably need we need probably like a. It doesn't sound. It's not a huge amount of money in, in the grand scheme of things, but we probably need about thirty meter sort of magic carpet on the area that we're on. Okay, so, so it's a fairly you know, significant investment. So it's, a, so it's a big out there. Yeah. Um, and the, the company, you know, to be fair, there wouldn't be in it, you know, if we have another couple of years where we were doing well, which we were before last year, mm -hmm. those conversations are, are you know, they'd they be encouraged, you know, yeah, you'd, yeah. You'd, you'd stick a little sort of uh, profit and loss sort of sheet together and, you know, see what the return would be. And, and if, it, if it came out, they, they would be willing to kind of invest in those sort of things. Mm -hmm. um, but that's all been knocked back a little. Those sort of investments have been knocked back, obviously, because of the last sort of yeah. financial year that everybody's had. Yeah, yeah. Um, but one of the, so uh, going back to kind of what you're saying, and it, it's really surprising, isn't it, that, at the most important stage of skiing, very, very few places have a specific or a, 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 a beginner area which is which suits the need. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's quite disappointing. And also, ski instruction, so the, the pathway in terms of ski instructors and the kind of the the, the path that associations put together mm. are almost almost based around having an ideal area to teach these things in. Yeah. <laughs> so, the yeah. Yeah. So, the, so the development of say from straight running into, into plough into plough turning into basic swing yeah. are all developed around having this ideal perfect area to be able to teach that on mm -hmm. and I'm yet to find it uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, do, do you know the other bit that really winds me up about out here is that they don't open up the beginner like so, they, so it'll come like mid-December here and then yeah. they'll they'll open, you know, the main lifts, the blue, you know, maybe a blue slope. All the red slopes will open up first, um, but they only get the beginner stuff open last. Yeah. Like, 
every single year and I, this year I might see if I can write to someone about it because it, it just it drives me bananas because the people who want to get going with skiing yep. earliest are the new people at it they're like when can we start you know they'll start in December December 6th yep. or December 1st or whatever if they could and but they can't also the because they're not serviced the money, they, yeah yeah yeah, they're also the people that you know, this is where the biggest spend is at the very beginning. Yeah. Uh, when you, you know, when you need lessons, when you need to kind of, yeah. you know, and and yeah, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I don't know why it's. I haven't actually been anywhere where, me personally, I've never been anywhere where they've actually developed an area which is suitable for the actual needs. Mm. You know, I've, I've I've taught beginner lessons on, outside of. No piece, uh, piece machine sheds, you know, you down the both, yeah, yeah. In, in car parks and yeah. all that sort of. Yeah. That's kind of where you get thrown in. It's terrible. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. Yeah. They're, they're big now this year into um, the Swiss have, have caught up with the idea of um, uh, terrain-based learning. Is yeah. I saw that in their their magazine lately, and they're they're making big big plays about you know having having like a, almost like a terrain park as a beginner park. Um, yep. We you know like banks and and up you know bumps and all sorts of bits and pieces and I'm like I don't know anywhere near me that has got like either the ambition to do that or secondly you know would even credit it you know the beginner area is just like an afterthought compared to the rest yep. of the place it's uh, it's very strange it is it is a strange one mm. but in terms of <clears throat> again going back sorry to your original question in terms of our beginner area so yeah. we we have. We have three separate slopes. Um, yeah. so what we call our nursery slope. We have a, a slope in the middle, which we generally keep to for snowboarding lessons because um, it kind of works easier that way. Mm. And then we made a hill. Um, the nursery hill is probably about maybe 50 meters long um, yeah. and about 80 meters wide. Okay. Uh, a kind of a consistent sort of gradient. Um, all our hills have a a run-out area, so they all end in an uphill sort of um, slope, so that you you can naturally come to a stop without having to be able to control your own speed. Oh, that's um, cool. Which which is also a, a big sort of bonus. Yeah. One of the issues you get with dry skate slope is though, even if you even if you want to miss it or not, the frick, they all have to be steeper than what you would normally want. Yes, yes, yes. I've seen that. I've seen that. And yeah. I've also seen that indoors at Hemel. Their beginner slope is really steep. I presume yeah. that's just a hangover from the old slope that used to be there um, in the dry slope yeah. days. Because I remember it being reasonably steep. But you're right, you've got more friction, right? So it's not going to be at the... I don't know. What, what angle is your beginner slope at? Do you know? Um, I don't know exactly. I think our main hill is probably around about between 16 and 18 degrees, something okay. like that. Um, which doesn't sound too much, but... If you had to cover our main hill in snow, you know, it would be a decent red run, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so the, the beginner hill's probably not too far off it really. We're probably round about fifteen degrees, I would think. But you don't um, but you don't miss it. No, we don't. Um but what what we find is because of the fact that it's slightly because it has to be steeper, yeah. Um it, it it kind of affects how you kind of stand on your skis. You know, when you, if you are gonna if you are gonna follow the actual, you know, the pathways that sort of um, yeah, you know, you, the instructor sort of you know the development pathways, shall we say, mm-hmm. um, to move from straight running into plow. When you start plowing on a fairly steep hill, yeah, you're in a completely different position to what you would be if you were doing it on a 
a fairly gentle sort of ideal beginner area, shall we say. What um, what 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 effects does that create? Like, do are people generally ending up a bit more in the back seat because they're a bit more fearful, or? or... Um, I think we do, we you do get them. I don't think you get them any more than what I think. That's almost like an in in built sort of uh, this um, feeling of being on the back seat. You know, this yeah. you find people moving the back seat. I think that's almost a inbuilt naturally. Yeah. You just find that maybe when you come to the steering sort of. Um, elements. So when you're starting to move from straight running or plow, you know, plow gliding to a sort of a plow, plow turning and things like that. Yeah. It, it, it tends to affect where the inside leg would be. You know, if you imagine how, if you're on a steep hill. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It's a little bit more, you, you kind of have to work a little bit more at it. Um, yeah. It becomes a little bit more difficult for people to, to make these turns. Me personally, that's how I, I, I feel. Yeah, because um, you presumably they feel like they've got one leg up in the air a little bit. Yeah, a bit. And, and I guess once you get through it, it's probably an advantage later on. Yeah. But at that early stage, you just have to kind of be a little bit more aware of the fact that you are on a steeper hill than what you might actually like them to be at that stage of the development. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Does that, you? but you don't see that, that doesn't go all the way through so the kids that you teach that that go through the club it doesn't seem to affect them in the long term no i don't think it does i don't think it does but i think i think we i kind of you, you use what you've got don't you so you yeah kind of, yeah you, well yeah you, you adapt come, right yeah so you adapt the teaching that you have to kind of suit the, the area that you're in um it's just that it's not an idea it's not the ideal but you, there's not really a lot you can do with it unfortunately no, no, but I mean, I, I think every area has its quirks, right? You know, exactly. we have the same thing, like um, the, the slope three, essentially, at Morjan is, is it's really steep, you know, like, it, and, and yeah. you come off the top, there's a little plateau, and then there's a drop, and it scares people to death, you know, people freeze at the top of that, and just like, oh, God, like, why don't they just take a bulldozer to this in the summer yeah. and flatten it off? Like, it wouldn't take that much work, but nope. presumably it would, you know... There'd be uh, the green lobby would be in it out if I had my way, flattening off slopes and filling in holes and all sorts of bits and pieces. Yeah, that, that's another thing that you find in places though. They'll, they'll stick a beginner area somewhere up a hill. Yeah. So you yeah. so you've got to get to it and then you've got to get back from it. Yeah. And you think, well, the slope's quite nice, but how am I going to get home? No. Nah. You know? <laughs> so exactly. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with it. Tell me, um, I've got a couple more questions. I know we, I'm conscious that we've been going for quite a long time. You're uh, That's okay. a very engaging, engaging interview. Um, what are the kids when they're they're racing or they're skiing generally on the slope? Are they are they using a regular alpine kind of ski wax, or are there specific stuff for the the artificial surface? Yeah, it, it is a snow wax that they use. It is, a, it, you know, the, the same stuff that you could buy and use anywhere else. But they tend to use a very, very cold wax, so a very hard wax. Um, right. And what they do is they'll they'll melt it on mm. and and melt it and put numerous layers of it on, um, try and get it as smooth as possible. Yeah. But then, but don't scrape, polish it off. Oh right. So so they let that um, the wax harden. And then polish it off by hand, or if you're lucky enough to have one of those brushes, you know, yeah, yeah. brushes, um, so that you get a really polished sort of um, surface on it. But yeah, leave the wax on. Wow. Um, okay. And then, and then again, you know, Phil's probably explained this to you as well and things like that. But 
when it comes to race day, all sorts of weird and wonderful sort of lubricants <laughs> get put on skis. You know, <laughs> for, yeah. uh, Mr. Sheen was a big one of the day, or you know, back to black that like, used to put on your tyres and things like that. You know, all sorts of stuff. You stand at the top of a, a, a race gate and just be full of this gunk of jelly or whatever they've been sliding on the skis and stuff. Just didn't put anything on just to go quick. Amazing. Amazing, yeah. The only time that ever happens to me is when I pull the skis off the top of the car and like early in the season and then you realise you haven't scraped your skis and then you're that guy like in the yeah. car park who's trying to do it with like a credit card. Yeah. <laughs> it happens to me so often, like yeah. in December. Um, yeah, we, what, we, we, we've had kids when we've, we, no, we take them away on snow camps and things and they've probably never skied a lot on snow and then they're, they're skiing around and they're not moving and you think, well, what, what's wrong? Well, Nothing. And you think, well, you haven't scraped your skis. And they're like, well, why should I scrape my skis? So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It changes your snow now. You've got, to, you've got to scrape them all. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, with you. What, what happens, uh, this is probably a silly question, but I'm going to ask it anyway because I've got to be the one that does it. But what happens when it snows? Like, it must ah. snow in Sunderland. So, yeah. so, what, so the, presumably the slope, slope stays open, but, like, everyone adapts, I'm guessing, but does it... The the, the the Dendex surface supports snow, right? And and you, I guess you have times when you can have quite a lot of snow on there, right? And everyone's skiing regular snow. Yeah, we do. Yeah, so we've had a couple of times where we've had some seasons where you make it, you know, I say good seasons, two or three weeks of, yeah. of snow. Uh, um, and yeah, we, we don't need a huge amount of snow for it to, to run really well. So if you imagine the, the bristle probably being around three centimeters deep something like that yeah so once you've filled that that hole in the middle yeah you know, the gap then you know it runs just like it's like on snow and then the ski obviously performs like it's on snow opposed to being like it's on on the plastic yeah um and then we're kind of lucky i guess where we, with the slope that we have if we get enough slow uh, enough snow sorry mm. then you you can you can ski off to the side a little bit you know we have some grass areas and we have some sort of you know you can kind of it expands the area that we've got to oh, kind of cool. to ski in, so it lets us yeah. kind of ski around a bit more. So yeah, it's, it's, it's good. And, and it lasts as well, because again, once it's packed into those uh, diamonds, once yeah. the snow's packed in there, it, it's protected a little bit, so it, it does tend to stay, stay on the slope for a little bit longer. How do you get those, those um, they come pre-made, right? I'm, I'm guessing like those squares of the, the 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 dendex surface like do you drill them into the the floor or like how does they how do they stay in no no so if you imagine you'd, you'd have a you'd have a hill and then on that hill you'd you'd um vertically run um anger wires so big peg hand not at the floor with a, a wire running the full length of the hill yeah and then all the mats are wired together um so you get these um you know, uh, it's a wire with two loops on the end. Yeah. You wrap it around. You put on your, we call them hurdy gurdy. I don't actually know what the real name is. And you spin it. You spin it round until it, it makes a twist. Um, and then the sort of whole hill is held together with this twisted wire. Oh, it's just like an enormous sort of jigsaw kind of thing. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Huh. I bet that. Yeah. Because I've seen some 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 video from the slope, right? And some of it's like it looks really cool because some of it's. I think some of it's white. Like there's a few odd patches of different colours and things like that. It's, it, it's really, really like quite an impressive thing to look at. Yeah, it's it, it, it's the most awful job in the world. <laughs> Changing mats and things like that. So it's an ongoing process. I mean, we we started. We're quite good here. We have a part of the deal with the 
the, the the company and the council that still own the facility and the company that run it, we have a deal that they, they still provide funding for the matten, so we we're mm. constantly up, trying to kind of upgrade the matten all the time. Yeah. Um, but it's such a dirty, mm. smelly job because obviously in in the summertime, what happens is you get a lot of moss or you know yeah. vegetation that grows between the, the the gaps, and then so when you're pulling it off and yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 summertime isn't the most fun on the on the dry schools when you when you're changing mats. That's that's when all the skin starts disappear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, I can well imagine. I can well imagine. Oh man, I, John, I could talk to you forever, but like we've been going for an hour and a bit now, like an hour and a half. So that's, a, that's okay. No um, I want to thank you so much for like taking the, the 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 time to chat and giving me this real education on on like you know the the, the dry slope world. Um, very well where, where where can people find you if they've got they want to ski or they've got you know aspiring skiers or, or they just want to get in touch with you like where, where's the best ways to get best way to get in touch with you yeah so we have a um, the, the, we, we're called Siltsworth Sports Complex um, so the company's everyone active Siltsworth Sports Complex if you if you look it up online you'll be able to find that it's not the best website in the world but you know it's got contact numbers on there, so the best thing to do is just use one of those contact numbers and get in touch with us. Okay. Um, if anybody wants to speak to me personally, I'm just on Facebook as John Greenwood. You know, they're more than happy to send me a message through if they want to speak to that. I'm quite happy to kind of, you know, pass on all the details if they need them. Fantastic. All right. Brilliant. Um, awesome. Well, th- thank you so much. It's been absolutely brilliant talking to you. You're very welcome. Thank you very much for having me on.